Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. It's Tuesday, January 19, 2021, the day before Joe Biden's inauguration as the 46th president of the United States. And just those words, Joe Biden, inauguration, have Trump supporters heading to Costco looking for a giant-sized box of Alka-Seltzer. Uh, but folks, that's where we are now less than 24 hours from the swearing in. And on a side note, that won't be the only swearing, by the way, <laughs> going on that day. As for Biden's cabinet, the hearings have begun. Treasury Secretary nominee Janet Yellen appeared uh, from home during her Senate confirmation hearing. We're going to get reaction to that. And the streets of D.C., look at this. It's like a militarized zone all around the Capitol. Good luck trying to get anywhere near the inauguration. This is America 2021. But first, some provocative words from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell today on the Senate floor. He flat out blamed the president for the January 6th riots at the U.S. Capitol. We want to play some of these remarks that will surely put him high on the enemies list of Trump supporters. The last time the Senate convened, we had just reclaimed the Capitol from violent criminals who tried to stop Congress from doing our duty. The mob was fed lies. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people. And they tried to use fear and violence to stop a specific proceeding of the first branch of the federal government, which they did not like. But we pressed on. We stood together and said an angry mob would not get veto power over the rule of law in our nation, not even for one night. We certified the people's choice for their 46th president. Tomorrow, President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris will be sworn in. We'll have a safe and successful inaugural right here on the west front of the Capitol, the space that President Bush 41 called democracy's front porch. And then we'll move forward. Our work for the American people will continue as it has for more than 230 years. There are serious challenges that our nation needs to continue confronting. But there will also be great and hopeful opportunities for us to seize. Certainly, November's elections did not hand any side a mandate for sweeping ideological change. Americans elected a closely divided Senate, a closely divided House, and a presidential candidate who said he'd represent everyone. That's Mitch McConnell. Once again, the words, and I'm quoting him here, uh, it says, uh, they were provoked, the mob, they were provoked by the president and other powerful people. I got to tell you, it is fascinating to see this from Mitch McConnell, who is typically like bland as cream of wheat. Uh, remember, though, just a year ago, McConnell uh, was hailed as the brave majority leader, right? He was able to fight and confirm all of President Trump's Supreme Court judges, many lower court ones as well. Uh, now he's moving into, like, Jeff Sessions' territory. Anyhow, I want to bring in Nathan Gonzalez, editor of Inside uh, Elections. Uh, Nathan, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. No, thank you for having me again. 
Well, Nathan, interesting words from Mitch McConnell today. What, what did you make of that? Well, you know, it, it shouldn't be surprising, at least based on the last couple of days and how uh, Leader McConnell has, I think, left the door more open than I would have expected even on, on the upcoming impeachment trial. Uh, but this is he has gone farther than he's gone before. And I think that this shows uh, the growing divide in the Republican Party. There are uh, those in the Republican Party that see that the next chapter, they, they want the next chapter of the Republican Party post-Trump to begin. And they're trying to start that process where you have other Republicans who are saying, no, 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 this is the president is our guy. These are where our voters are, and we need to stay. I mean, just to also, uh, Ben Sass, the Republican senator from Nebraska, had a, a piece in The Atlantic saying, you know, we can either choose to be a party of the Constitution or a party of conspiracy theories. And you have Senator Rand Paul, Republican from Kentucky, uh, who was on Fox saying uh, that if, um, you know, if we impeach, if we convict the president in impeachment trial, that a third of the party is going to walk up and, you know, walk out and leave. So uh, this is, it's just getting more. Uh, personal and specific than, I, than I've ever seen. And I think it's because the, the stakes are high. Well, we put up the Rand Paul uh, headline there. I want to put up the uh, Ben Sass, uh, at least one quote from Ben Sass that you mentioned. Uh, this is about QAnon. Uh, QAnon is destroying the GOP from within. It was in the Atlantic. He said, until last week, too many in the Republican Party thought they could preach the Constitution and wink at QAnon. They can't. And he goes on and explains that. So where does that leave us, uh, Nathan, as it relates to at least let's talk about this uh, trial that we assume is going to happen. I mean, there's all constitutional issues. We'll get some constitutional law professors to talk about that. But uh, where are we? I mean, is there a possibility that 67 uh, votes might be there to actually convict this uh, former president at, the, at that point? Well, I'm not going to predict that just yet. I think that as every day goes on, we're learning more about what happened on January 6th. And, and I tend to think that it's not good uh, for what happened. Just each piece that we learn, it, it makes it look worse. So does how, what is the threshold for these Republican senators uh, to, to need to convict? And I'm not sure, I'm, you know, I haven't been counting them, but I really haven't seen Republicans wrestling with the fact, beyond Ben Sass, wrestling with the fact that uh, QAnon and, and the folks that believe um, that, that believe some of this are part of the Republican coalition, including some of the people who who stormed who stormed the Capitol, invaded the Capitol. Some want to just dismiss them as Antifa, but when you listen to the interviews of these folks, this is part of the Republican coalition. And but along with that coalition are people who don't like Republican politicians either. Right, the president is their guy. So what do the people do who really believe that Mitch McConnell is is just as much a part of the problem as? Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. That is what is interesting to me. And how do you keep those people in the fold when uh, when the president isn't isn't the person that's bringing them together? Right. So there's different positions, obviously, out there, so very different positions. So how do you kind of uh, take these types of inter-party disputes amongst Republicans uh, and that impact uh, that, that direction of the party going forward. I mean, how, how does that, what kind of uh, s uh, situation does it leave the Republicans in? Well, the easiest way to unite a party is to figure out what you're against. And, and I think you, in, in the long term, you, there will be able to be a coalition that says, hey, you know what, we might disagree, but we don't like Chuck Schumer. We don't want, we don't think President Biden is legitimate and we don't want AOC running the show. That will bring together part of the coalition. But again, you have this other group that doesn't like Republicans. They think it's all the swamp. Um, I think there's some soul searching going on with 
with the voters that were part of the Trump coalition for the judges, or they were part of it for the policies, and they were kind of holding their nose about other aspects of the president. Um, but it is, um, but now that the president can't offer, he can't offer specific things once he's out of office, he can't deliver on these policies. Are they willing to stay in the coalition and be next to, uh, you know, the guy who is beating a police officer with an American flag. Yeah. They're, they're doing like, wait, is this the, the group that I want to be involved with? And, and that's what I think we don't know yet. Well, and Nathan, the left can make that, you can make the same argument on the left. I mean, you know, you had the BLM stuff over the summer. You had, uh, you know, uh, police stations burning down. You had Antifa and a lot of the left-wing anarchists. And uh, Democrats, centrist Democrats could also ask the question, do I, is this the party I want to be part of as well? I mean, I think that does go both ways. Yeah, and, and I think that the coalition, the Democratic coalition, was held together by their opposition to President Trump. That mm -hmm. I mean, Democrats are divided. There, there is not a clear consensus in the Democratic Party, and we could, we could do segments about the Democratic Party, but what held it together was being against Trump. Does that hold together forever, uh, you know, or, or in the near future? I think re remains to be seen. Um, but that coalition, uh, what, that coalition was enough to deliver the White House, deliver yeah. the Senate, uh, control the Senate, and, and keep the House in Democratic hands. So you know, Republicans, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm actually also amazed that Republicans have sort of doubled down or tripled down on the Trump coalition when that hasn't been enough to keep Republicans, you know, to keep Republicans in power. And, and I think that has to be taken into account as well. Nathan, I think one big thing the media is going to miss in all of this is they're going to try to equate all of the crazy punks that were in the Capitol as like, the Trump movement, like that represents magination. It doesn't. Let me be very clear, not just to you, I just let me be clear to the nation. It doesn't represent magination at all. Is it a part of it? Sure. It's a fringe part of it. It's people that got crazy. Trump fanned the flames and then they went ahead and took advantage of it. But that doesn't represent the 75 million or so people uh, that voted for this president. Uh, so, so the point is, I wonder if they're going to miss that. The media is going to miss that because Trump did tap into something that many of these tens of millions of people are frustrated with. They're angry at Congress. They're angry at the media. They're angry at the establishment. They're angry at the swamp. And just because a bunch of knuckleheads, and yeah, we're a couple thousand, but a couple thousand is still a bunch compared to 75 million, that doesn't represent uh, the underlying issue as it relates to what, what, what the Trump supporters feel out there. Yeah, I mean, the, the people, what, the 81.2, uh, 81 million that voted for Biden, I think they already thought that the Trump movement was what we saw on January 6th. Like, they, they had already come to that conclusion um, based on, based on you know, who, who they wanted to win. And you're right that um, 74.2 million people did not storm the Capitol on January 6th. That's but right. You're also right that that is part of the Trump coalition. And uh, and again, I would come back to not worrying as much about what Democrats think of um, think of people who supported and voted for President Trump. But there are people that voted for President Trump who are very uncomfortable with what happened uh, with those the hundreds, thousands of people that stormed the Capitol. And now that the president, again, he can't, he's not going to be able to get more judges. He's not going to be able to deliver tax policy mm -hmm. or whatever. Why are they going to stay in the coalition? And that's what we have to wait and see. No, I, I hear you on that. All right, Nathan Gonzalez, uh, great to see you again. Uh, editor of Inside um, 
elections. And tell us where people can go, website, if they want to follow you, what you're doing. Sure. Just InsideElections.com. Uh, and if you want to see some uh, Seahawks tweets or tweets about my kids, you can follow me uh, on Twitter <laughs> at Nathan L. Gonzalez. Okay, thanks. See you You had to get the Seahawks in there. All right, Nathan, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. All right. I mean, clearly, Trump is a big you-know-what to America. I mean, basically, uh, it's not the pinky finger, if you know what I'm saying. He's another finger, uh, and he tapped into a lot of uh, frustration. Back in a moment. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, the January 6th riots, riots, there have been a lot of fallout from that. Uh, some of it has been very personal. Obviously, we've had death and, and, and some destruction and violence and the chaos and the arrest. Uh, uh, there is a pastor, Pastor Brian Gibson, who has been on this show, uh, in this studio. We've had him on quite a few times. He is now in hiding at an undisclosed location after receiving death threats. You know, he was around the country uh, preaching, but also talking about how this election indeed was stolen. Uh, and he wanted uh, the, the church and others to rise up. And, and now he's in hiding. And uh, we want to talk about all of this with him. And so uh, he joins us uh, now on the water cooler, Pastor Brian Gibson, the lead pastor at uh, his church. Uh, pastor Gibson, always great to see you, sir. Hey, it's great to be with you again, David. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a strange uh, couple of weeks, to say the least. And uh, so I have had to, because of the numerous death threats, because of preaching the gospel, standing up for the First Amendment, religious liberty, and also speaking out against what I believe was a corrupt election. Uh, it's come against my family, my wife, my children. So we're, we're taking every precaution to keep them safe. But I'm still in that pulpit every Sunday morning. I won't be driven out of my pulpit. Um, but but it has been crazy times. And what the left can do to you in America to come against you uh, and paint a broad brush stroke against the church, um, it really is unbelievable. Uh, and it is atrocious. Well, I want to get to some of the details of what you've experienced, some of the death threats and what, what you've come under. The, uh, but before that, let's set this up a little bit and show the picture uh, that has been making waves and kind of got you in some hot water with uh, with certain folks out there. Uh, there it is. Uh, you with the guy, I'll just call him the, the bullhorn guy, the guy with the horns. We know him. We've seen him out there. He was in the Capitol, all that. Uh, take us through this picture and, and how this kind of landed in in kind of this cra crazy land of people uh, taking this picture way out of context. Yes, sir. I, I started speaking uh, in California, made a trip all the way back across America, stopping at various locations. Uh, we stopped in Phoenix, Arizona, where I spoke at a rally, and uh, the, the bullhorn guy, the horn guy, was standing out in the crowd. It was a small crowd. You see him there. He looks like a character from Animal Kingdom. So I walk out, and I take a selfie with him, and I throw it up online and I say, hey, this guy's got the best outfit in the crowd today. Um, come on. He looks like some sort of character. I thought it was funny. Yeah. So I went and, and took the picture. I never knew they would take that picture and take him in the Capitol, link me with him, 
and uh, go after me the way they did in Twitter. I guess if I take a picture with a lion now, David, I- I'm responsible for every uh, zebra that lion pulls down for the rest of his life. Right. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Uh, well, so tell me, what uh, what criticism did you get? It's more than criticism. I mean, these are death threats. What happened when that picture got out there? What did you experience personally, Pastor? Yeah, here's, here's what the leftists do. They say they're tolerant, but they try to hammer you at every corner. They took those two pictures, they tether them together, and they say these words, make him famous. Then they start publishing the addresses to all the locations uh, in our church, uh, publishing. They got a hold of my phone number. I've had to get rid of that number. They passed it around. I don't know how they do that, but they do it. Um, then, then even my address, I believe, has been out there online. So... Um, since then, I had people I had to move from from my home to a hotel there uh, in the town I was at. Had people coming to the hotel looking at me, looking for me. Um, even came up on the floor I was staying in. Had to leave that that hotel. Had people follow me. People harassed me. People showed up at our campus, uh, one of our campuses this weekend, uh, with signs to protest uh, online. They're saying things like, "We should protest. Should we bring guns?" Multiple death threats against me. So, so it's really been madness. I'll say this, I'm not afraid. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. But I do have a family to protect. I have children to protect. And so we have to be vigilant and uh, pay attention to what's happening right now. Are you preaching online at this point, or how is that working? No, sir. I will let no threat stop me from walking into my pulpit and preaching live. So I was there this last Sunday, uh, preaching live in my pulpit, and then I broadcast. I, I preach in one location, broadcast to other locations, mm-hmm. and uh, I just, I just will not bow my knee to this type of intimidation. So I'll be in my pulpit on Sundays. Pastor, tell us about January sixth. Uh, you were, you were talking the day before. I know there was a, a rally before that. So tell me about some of your comments that day, and what, what happened on January sixth exactly. Yes, sir. I, I led a prayer rally on the 5th, took the opportunity to preach the gospel to the crowd. It's what I do. It's what I live for. Tons of people received Christ that day. Also made comments about standing up for the First Amendment, comments about uh, how our elected officials ought to represent we the people and not just fall into the narrative that the left is pushing out there. And then on the 6th, I go down to hear the president speak. It was freezing. I left a, a, a few minutes early and uh, got up to our hotel room. Me and my wife were warming our feet up and got the call that the Capitol had indeed been breached. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it had happened. Uh, so I put on my, my, my walking shoes, and I went up the hill there to see what was happening. And honestly, on the outside, David, it was a lot of people praying, uh, people uh, singing God Bless America. I mean, it was a peaceful protest by the majority of these people. Now, now we know there were some bad actors up at the top. Uh, I know some, some leftist and Antifa-type guys were there. Also believe some Trump supporters, uh, you know, fell right in line, followed them in. I think a lot of the footage that's out there, I had a friend that was up there um, and got out of there very quickly, but he personally saw Trump supporters and people telling people to stop attacking the building, to stop the violence. Yeah. And, and they even pushed those people away and they left the crowd, went around to the other side and started the same business. So what he said is, is what the media is selling you yeah. is not what actually happened. He was an eyewitness. And, and, and less than a minute left, but I got to have you clarify. We, we see Jesus 2020 banners. We saw a lot of praying, you know, which is great because we're fighting for Judeo-Christian principles out there. But then the, the, the crazies inside started praying about Jesus and Christianity from the speaker's pulpit. I mean, that, that, that's crazy. That's crazy stuff, not part of what Christianity is all about. 
Absolutely. It's nuts. We condemn all those acts. And uh, those are, are a lot of simple people, people that are guided the wrong way, radical people. When you get that many people together, I don't know, there was between one and two million people there, I believe, you're going to have some nuts there. But what the left is doing right now is taking that that small group of people and trying to apply it to all of us That's as right. Christians. Uh, it's 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 a stereotype. It is it's bigoted. It's wrong, and we cannot let this to become the the uh, normal in America. So I'll just say this: pastors that want to do something positive, uh, you could look us up at PG today. We want to help you get your church open. We want to help defend the church in the South. Pastor Brian Gibson fighting the good fight. The new Black Robe Regiment. You're looking right at him, Pastor Brian Gibson. Uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, my friend. Hey, thanks, David. All right, Brian Gibson. Uh, and look, the bottom line with Brian Gibson is he's the real deal. Uh, and the people preaching inside the Capitol talking about Jesus, we're going to talk about that later. They have no clue. Absolutely incorrect. That's later. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. Joe Biden will be the 46th president of the United States come noon, high noon, <laughs> high noon. That's interesting. Google it. Uh, high noon on Wednesday, January 20th. And then the 100 days begin. And that the way I see it among conservatives, at least among Trump supporters, that is uh, two excedrin every day for 100 days. That's 200. Now, how many excedrin is that? That's 200. <laughs> it's 100 times two. Sorry, I failed math. All right. 100 times two. 200 excedrin taken by Trump supporters uh, every day during the first 100 days. And by the way, if that's 75 million supporters, now you've lost me. It's 75 million times 200. That's a lot of Excedrin, uh, FYI, in the first 100 days. Let's bring in Joel Griffith uh, from the Heritage Foundation Research Fellow. Joel, uh, great to see you, sir. Hey, thank you for having me today, David. Well, I want to ask you a little bit about some of this ambitious agenda uh, items uh, that uh, Joe Biden has uh, in the first 100 days, including this $1.9 trillion stimulus package. Uh, let's put up uh, what Joe Biden, for example, uh, has said about it. Uh, stimulus checks, he wants $1,400 more, which, oh, by the way, let me shout this out. That's what Trump wanted. Sorry, I don't know who I'm shouting to. Uh, the federal minimum wage, he wants $15 an hour. The unemployment benefit increase, he wants another $400 a week. Child tax credit increase, $3,000 a year. And he wants to extend the eviction notice, which Trump wanted to as well. Anyhow, what do you make of some of what's in there? Well, there's a lot of dangerous, wasteful spending in that. And as you mentioned, uh, some of these proposals, uh, it's not just Democrat proposals, Republicans have come on board as well. And whether it's Republicans or Democrats pushing forward this type of spending, American people are going to pay for it, either through higher taxes, higher inflation, or slower economic growth. And let's start with the, the big one there, and that's that stimulus checks. This would be round three of stimulus checks that would go to everybody beneath an income, a certain income threshold, regardless of whether or not they're employed, you end up with tens of millions of Americans that are gainfully employed receiving this money. And of course, everybody likes to have a little bit of extra cash, in this case, a lot of extra cash in their checking account. But we have to look at, you know, is this necessary? And how are we going to pay for it? And the simple truth is, 
We're not paying for it. We're borrowing and printing it, and it will have no real discernible impact on long-term economic growth for the simple reason that people are spending less in some instances because they actually can't go out and participate in the economy because state and local governments have shut down bars, restaurants, and entertainment in so many areas of the country. Yeah. I want to get into something that wasn't necessarily on the list, but is in there, and it is a big one. State, state and local governments getting billions of dollars. I'm not sure what the figure is. Is it over $200 billion? Something like that. Uh, anyhow, tell me a little bit about what state and local governments could get out of this and the concern about where that money would end up. I mean, that, that sounds crazy to me. Oh, yeah. So many special interests and left-wing interest groups are using COVID as an excuse to bail out cities and states, many of which were failing before the COVID pandemic. And what this would do is to divert federal taxpayer dollars to places like New York, California, Illinois, that have suffered from mismanagement for many years. And, and the dirty little secret that many in the media aren't telling you are that the state and local government uh, uh, revenue combined is actually up year over year, and yet they're still clamoring for more in federal aid. And what this really does is it distributes the costs of these places, such as Chicago, LA, New York. It forces the rest of taxpayers in places like Tennessee and Florida that are much better managed, it forces those taxpayers to pick up the cost. It's really a penalty on those governments that have actually instituted proper reforms. It's gonna cause them to subsidize the mismanagement elsewhere. So is this money actually going under the guise of COVID then, uh, the state and local money? I mean, what, I, I, how do they justify that exactly? Well, some of this is under the guise of COVID relief. And, and look, there, there's, uh, of course, there, there's a, um, a role to play for the government, for instance, in, in getting the vaccine out. But that's not what the vast majority of these resources would do. Remember, money is fungible, meaning that a dollar designated for one purpose can mean another dollar elsewhere can be spent somewhere else. Uh, if this spending package is approved, this would result in the total amount of federal aid given to states and local governments over the past year being 17 times the revenue dip from April to September. Uh, you know, we can hear as an excuse all day long that they need this to go ahead and patch up the budgets that have suffered under COVID, but that simply is a myth, and the data contradict that myth. You know, if I can just say, and I know the Heritage Foundation, very conservative, the truth of the matter is Republicans haven't been very helpful, uh, at least in the last four years uh, under, under Trump. I mean, they've just been kind of, and I know there's those constitutional conservatives that are, you know, the fiscal hawks and the Rand Pauls of the world, Mike Lees, Ted Cruz. But the truth of the matter is Republicans have bought into big government quite a bit uh, in these last few years, if not going back much further than that. That's been a, a frustration of the of people in the Tea Party back in the day and even people today. Yeah, I think we're, we're very right to be frustrated. Uh, we've taken on copious amounts of, of, of debt over the, the past year. Uh, and uh, look, I understand the intentions. The intentions are to stimulate the economy. But this is the first time in our nation's history that we have a recession that has been caused by governments actually shutting off large sectors of the economy. And that's why this actually is not going to generate the growth that we hope for. What we need is a continued reopening. If you look at um, the Federal Reserve provides an index that kind of looks at state-by-state -state economic performance. If you look at places um, like uh, Idaho, Missouri, Florida, Georgia, these places are seeing what is truly a V-shaped recovery. They've made up the, the majority of the losses that we saw throughout the pandemic. In fact, some states now are actually have higher economic output than they did pre-pandemic. 
But if you look at the places that are shut down, like California, Illinois, Hawaii, for instance, some of these spots are still in double-digit declines in economic output. And that goes to show what we need here is not more government spending. Quarter three, we had record, record economic growth in quarter three. And that was in the same quarter that we actually saw government spending decline. And that just shows what we need is a reopening, not more printing, borrowing, and spending of federal money. I got about 30 seconds left, Joel. What do you think the regarding an economic forecast under Biden's first quarter, uh, how, how concerned are you is that uh, regarding what the economy might look like in this first quarter and going into all the, this full year? Well, I think the positive with all this is that regardless of what the administration recommends or they try to do regarding um, economic shutdowns, each state, for the most part, each state gets to make these decisions on their own. So you're going to see states like Florida and Governor DeSantis continue to vaccinate, continue to reopen the, the states. And sure, you might have places like California that continue to repress their citizens. But thankfully, states have a lot of power to continue the reopening process. Yeah. Joel Griffith from the Heritage Foundation. Always great to see you. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate it. Great Thank insight. You. All right. Uh, and the key in all of this legislative battle on Capitol Hill will be six key senators, three Democrats, three Republicans. Republicans are Romney, Murkowski and Collins. Democrats are Manchin, uh, Kirsten Cinema, and John Tester. Those are the big top six. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, all right. Uh, time for a hodgepodge of news. And guess who's with us early in the show? Sophie Mann. Sophie Mann. Good to see you. Unexpected to see you at this at this point in the show. Are you ready to go? I think I'm ready to go. Okay. Normally, um, let's be honest, not that people, we didn't need to geek out with all the numbers in the show, but normally it's a shorter segment mm -hmm. at the end. But we're mm -hmm. we're bringing you in for the extended play. I've today. been promoted this day. You have. Now, yeah. you could just uh, provide, and we'll put your Venmo information on the screen. Oh, you can, please. You know, yeah. We'll just give you some okay. new money. Cool, cool. Okay, uh, Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen. Uh, the, the confirmation hearings are underway. Confirmation hearings are underway. Yes, so um, a handful of cabinet members, potential cabinet members in the Biden administration mm -hmm. are up in the Senate today right. um, going through their individual panel confirmation hearing. So Janet Yellen is talking to the Senate Finance Committee today. Mm -hmm. um, Janet Yellen has been selected for uh, to head the Treasury Department, as we know. She formerly from 2004. 14 to 2018 headed the Federal Reserve. Mm -hmm. She is, you know, a renowned economist, um, an incredibly sort of reasonable speaker. So she has not only handled the senators before, but is good at handling them. Mm -hmm. um, sort of just a, an all around solid pick by Joe Biden. Very, you know, DC, definitely not somebody who is mm -hmm. outside of the parameters of who was expected to be picked, but all mm -hmm. else being equal, she has an appropriate resume for the position and has been testifying about it today. Yeah. So mainly, obviously, the senators have been talking to her about the coronavirus and the impact, the devastating impact it's had on the American economy. Mm -hmm. And she's been speaking about what her priorities when she gets into her position, should she be approved, um, are going to be. So she's talking right. stimulus packages. We heard Joe Biden speak last week about a potential $1.9 billion stimulus package that she will, you know, be a big part of pushing through mm -hmm. uh, the legislative branch. Um, she spoke a lot about who has been impacted most heavily by the pandemic economically, and she spoke spe specifically about uh, women and minorities. Um, and how the next package really needs to target those who have been 
hardest hit. Uh, mm -hmm. Some Republican senators also took the time to grill Yellen about uh, the U.S.'s financial relationship with China, mm -hmm. um, which is a, has been a big central question of the Trump administration. And I think will be something that we continue to um, have to address because mm -hmm. they are, you know, an, an imminent force in that arena. Did she take a tough stand on China? She did. She, she did take a tough stance on China. I mean, she was very hard line about it, very straightforward. She talked mm -hmm. about them as our biggest global competitor and as a competitor that frequently employs, you know, underhanded, immoral, often illegal methods to produce their goods. If that is sort of work conditions or um, climate conditions that they're sort of skirting, they've been mm -hmm. known to steal intellectual property. Um, and she's talked about, you know, needing to come down hard on them for those practices and also needing to really sort of work together with our regional and global allies um, in order to dissuade China from continuing those practices because they really are a threat to sort of the free market global economy, especially as it pertains to the United States, which has sort of been vying for that top position against China for a couple of years yeah. now. Yeah, I think it's going to be smooth sailing for her. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, she's kind of like, kind of like this iconic person mm -hmm. and, and making history as well. Yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, talk about Mitch McConnell for sure. a moment. I want to play, uh, we played a little bit, or we played all of this at the top of the show. We're going to play a little bit of it now, uh, his provocative comments about the President of the United States on January 6th. Have a look. The last time the Senate convened, we had just reclaimed the Capitol from violent criminals who tried to stop Congress from doing our duty. The mob was fed lies. They were provoked by the President and other powerful people. The mob was fed lies. He could have stopped there, mm -hmm. okay? But he went on to talk about and name the president at mm -hmm. that point, which, uh, you know, I'd be curious to get your take on it. I can tell you this, that if you're mentioning the president like that, mm -hmm. I'm thinking maybe you're with the Democrats on this impeachment vote. I'm just saying. You know, it's, it's fair. I mean, time will tell. I think at the moment, Donald Trump is set to leave Washington tomorrow. Mitch McConnell is set to stay on for another six years. So this is really looks like the battle of the establishment GOP versus those outside of it um, who appear to be on the outs a little bit right now. You know, we speculated a couple of weeks ago when uh, McConnell's wife, Elaine Chao, became the first cabinet official in the Trump administration to resign because of what happened on the 6th. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that there's been some question this entire time over Mitch McConnell's stance on the matter. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we know he hasn't been whipping Republicans in the Senate in terms of mm -hmm. their vote. He hasn't, you know, put out a call sheet of telling them that they need to vote against impeachment or what have you. So mm -hmm. I think that there has been this question the entire time. And he this may be something that he lets his caucus play out um, just based on their emotions and, you know, voting their conscience as opposed to something that he really insists they vote against. Well, if you want to get rid of the drama of Trump, if you want to get rid of the crazy, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you look it up. You can kind of Tanya Harding him, Harding him right now. Mm -hmm. In other words, you know what? Kneecap the whole Nancy yeah. Kerrigan thing. I mean, you could do it right now with 67 votes in the Senate. So That's true. Glasses. So it'll be interesting to see if he does that. I mean, it's interesting even today, you know, Nancy Pelosi doesn't even seem particularly involved with impeachment today. The right. inauguration is tomorrow. But just this morning, she was asked, you know, by reporters at the Capitol, where's the movement on uh, the impeachment? And mm -hmm. she responded by saying, this is inauguration time. We're focused on the inauguration right now, which is interesting because yeah. last week when the inauguration was still forthcoming, we were very much focused on impeachment. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it would be interesting and I think uh, just a really big deal if um, this very much Democrat-led effort ended up getting the support of, at this point, the outgoing majority leader, but still a very, very powerful yeah. 
um, and lasting Senate Republican like right. Mitch McConnell. Well, we have about a minute left. Talk sure. to me about a, a story you're doing or you've, mm -hmm. you've done on the college SAT, what they're changing some mm -hmm. of this here. Yeah, the college board, which is actually a company, appears to be oh, yeah. wanting to run themselves out of business by eliminating more and more sections of the SAT. So they this year they struck the optional essay section mm -hmm. um, from the test and they are canceling subject area tests, which are not the main SAT, but are specific subject matter tests that you can take and sort of um, apply supplementally to your college application. Some schools require them, some schools haven't. Mm -hmm. In the wake of the coronavirus pandemic, a lot of schools have responded by canceling the SAT requirement for mm -hmm. this go of applications because students have not been able to take it because of closures and various scheduling issues. Um, but it seems like the test is becoming a little bit antiquated and something that mm -hmm. colleges are hoping to move away from for a variety of reasons. I mean, there's experts on both sides of this debate saying these are these are a good metric for measuring a student's capabilities. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a, those who say that, you know, students don't have equal access to testing prep and they don't measure intelligence in the way that you would actually want to if you want a holistic class at a given university. Yeah, it's interesting. I can tell you this. Back in the day, I'm just saying back in the day, mm -hmm. I mean, the SAT was the ball game. I mean, that's yeah. it. For, they didn't even have the ACT back then. Yeah. I know it was pre-Civil War when I was, but you know, it was <laughs> roughly, anyhow, the bottom line is, uh, it's interesting to see some of the changes going forward. So. Yeah, I agree. All right, uh, you're a chock full of news today, Sophie. That's Indeed. why we call you Sophie News. That's why you call me that. Why do I have to snap? <laughs> Sophie News. All right, when we come back, uh, the last sip is going to be next. They're talking about, I'm just going to say the word, Jesus. They're talking about Jesus uh, on, on the Senate floor, uh, but uh, it's the crazies. I'll explain in a moment. Welcome back to the water cooler, uh, everybody. Uh, end of the show here, some final thoughts. So Joe Biden is going to be inaugurated, as we know, as the 46th president of the United States on Wednesday at noon. And he has talked about unity from day one. Well, guess what? It's time to put up or shut up at this point. And how do you go about unifying the country? Good luck with that. Obviously, there are all sorts of problems. But here, here's one just kind of a novel idea. It has to do with television and media because that's what we do. That's what we peddle in. <laughs> no, we don't peddle on it. Uh, but look, here's what Joe Biden can do. Imagine his first interview as president of the United States is not a sit down with CNN or ABC or NBC or CBS or GVV or ABD, any of those alphabet soup folks. No, it is a sit down with a conservative media outlet. Choose the one you think it should be. But the bottom line is, what if he did a big interview with a conservative media outlet? What if he went to some Trump districts around the country that Trump won handily and went there and said, I'm here, I'm Joe Biden, and I brought with me an olive branch? You know, those are a couple of ways that Joe Biden might be able to provide or at least start to provide unity in this country. Now, as it relates to Capitol Hill and Congress, here's something to think about when it comes to unity. It's going to happen in the middle. It's going to happen with six senators in the United States Senate, three Democrats, three Republicans. These are the names to keep an eye on. And I'll say these names quite a bit throughout the next four years, but let me go through them. Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins on the Republican side. They're rhinos, but Democrats could really use them. Joe Biden could really use them. On the Democrat side, you've got John Tester, you've got Joe Manchin from West Virginia, and Kirsten Sinema from Arizona. 
Those are three on the Democrat side. That, let me repeat that. Let me repeat what I'm about to say, so I'll say it twice. That is where the center of power is. That is where the center of power is. Those six senators. And if Joe Biden wants to provide unity in this country, then he shouldn't be looking to AOC and the squad and Nancy Pelosi and all her shenanigans. And obviously he's not going to listen to any of the right wing folks as well. You go right in the center and you try to bridge the gap. That's the only way he's got a shot at unity in this country. I'm just saying, I know you don't maybe not like Romney and you don't like uh, Manchin or whatever, but that seems to be the sweet spot for Joe Biden going forward in these next four years. Inauguration Day, tomorrow in America. We'll be here live at four. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Time for da-ding. What was this? Why was that a sound? Da-ding, the last sip. <laughs> Listen, the budget is so tight, uh, literally, at the show that I'm making my own sound effects. Um, anyhow, uh, Christianity. So, uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, but I actually work also... <laughs> for CBN, the Christian Broadcasting Network. So I might have a thing or two to say about, wait for it, Christianity. And the, the other day, I saw these knuckleheads, punks, whatever you want to call them, you know, the hornhead guy and all these crazy people, like, you know, jetting in like Tom Cruise from Mission Impossible uh, onto the Senate floor. And then they started talking about, like, Christianity and Jesus. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I'm just going to say, can I say this is going to be really weird when I say this? This could be a curricular, but I'm going to say that. I went, say what? I went like this, say what? That's what I did. This is my new ringtone. Anyhow, this is what they said. Jesus Christ, we invoke your name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, uh, Jesus Christ, we in what invoke your name? Can we play that again? But this is the real. This is what it should say over it. Jesus Christ, we invoke your name. Amen. Amen. Now, that is a fake news story. Fake news. That's not Christianity. That's bo bozo, uh, mumbo jumbo. That has nothing to do with Christianity. And, you know, I get it. Look, I just have to check the Encyclopedia Britannica. I know it's an encyclopedia. Look it up if you're a millennial or younger, Gen Z. You're like, what's an encyclopedia? Uh, but look, the bottom line is in encyclopedias and in world history throughout the uh, history of the world, thank you very much for being redundant, Christianity was always taken out of context by crazy people. All right, look at the KKK. Christianity, please give me a break. And anybody that says that it is, it isn't. Let me say that again. It isn't. Do we have the fake news? Do we have the fake news thing? Can you we put it right up when I say it isn't? Go ahead. Just do it. Ready? I'm going to do it. It isn't. It is not. That's the bottom line. Because that's ridiculous. And I, there, thank, thank you. It's not. KKK, Christianity, no, it's all fake news. Everything regarding that is ridiculous. Now, let me just say this. Those Jesus banners you saw outside the Capitol, not inside. The ones outside, people fighting for Judeo-Christian principles in this country, absolutely. That's part of why Trump had so much appeal with evangelicals. They want to see a return to Judeo-Christian values, but they don't want to see a return to the nut jobs inside the Capitol going, Jesus, I'm like, say what?